0: Elisa Bryce reckons she knows how to kill a conversation at a dinner party. Tell people she's a soil scientist. Not a lot of them in Australia, only about a thousand at last count, but most of them are focused on agriculture. But Elisa wants us to know that soil has many other dimensions, including the cultural, the historical and, well, the mysterious. And she's written a beautiful book called Grounded. how soil shapes the games we play, the lives we make, and the graves we lie in. Elisa, welcome. We had a bit of a crime special the other night on Ellen Nelson. Let's continue that theme, forensic soil scientists. That's an even smaller subsection of specialisation. And I'd like you to to tell me why examining the dirt on a shovel was an important part of solving a South Australian murder.
1: Absolutely. In fact, analysing the soil on a shovel is what founded the Centre for Australian Forensic Soil Science. So let's go back to, say, early 2000s, and Rob Fitzpatrick, a soil science scientist, received a call from the police saying, we've got two missing women... We've got a suspect and we've got a car boot full of muddied objects, including a shovel. We think something bad has happened, but our suspect isn't talking. Can you please analyse the soil on the shovel and help us find out where he might have been digging? So at the time, the suspect was 200 kilometres away from his home and that was a long stretch of road. Could the missing women be alive and and injured or could they be dead? The police didn't know. So Rob um, got out his soil science arsenal and decided, okay, how are we going to narrow down the search area? And looking at this, the soil on the shovel, he noticed that it was yellowish pink in colour, it was acidic, it wasn't salty, and it didn't have any plant roots or um, organic matter, things that you would expect in the topsoil. It also had sharp grains of quartz, a clue that perhaps this soil didn't come from the surface from somewhere deeper in the soil. So putting all these clues together, he narrowed down the search area to Oak Bank Quarry, which is only a few kilometres from the suspect's house. So the police searched and they found nothing. It was raining, they couldn't search with equipment, they could only dig by hand and the days passed and then weeks passed and still... They they couldn't find these women. But one particularly um, persistent police officer went back to the quarry every day. And three weeks after Rob had said, I need you to start searching here, they found the two women. And the suspect was convicted and sentenced sentenced to life in prison.
0: So I understand that he started off with a sort of a Pantone colour chart.
1: Yes, the Munsell Soil Book, which is what soil scientists use to describe colour.
0: Explain how that kicks in, because we're looking at at browns, reds and yellows.
1: Oh yes, it's a way of communicating colour. So if we say, I look at a soil and say it's brown, and you look at a soil and say it's brown, there are lots of different types of browns. There are in fact, I think more than 70 browns in the munsell soil book so by using this book the the, the systems has a hue value and chroma so if i said 7.5 yr 5 4 that code relates to a specific color and that's how when we talk about soil color we can make sure that we're all referring to exactly the same color and the munsell book is what lets us do that
0: i must say rob fitzpatrick Clearly has a wonderful mind. I mean the the way he thinks this thing through, the way he looks at this shovel, at its at the blade, at the front, at the back, and then is able to make all these remarkably accurate deductions.
1: Yes, I think he is a very intelligent man, but it also shows that the soil itself is this wonderful form of evidence. We can learn so much the soil holds so much you just have to know how to look at it and rob knows how to look at the soil to help solve crimes
0: colleagues of mine here are addicted to vera which is a telly show on the abc i don't know it well but i i understand that it does have a forensic soil science advisor
1: yes lorna dawson um in the uk is also a forensic soil scientist And she has solved quite a few uh, mysteries over in the Northern Hemisphere and she advises on that show. I admit I have only watched bits and pieces of it, but it sounds like a a wonderful, exciting um, side activity or job for a soil scientist.
0: So war is usually fought over soil, of course. Who owns what territory? But soil is also crucial in determining the experience and characteristics and even the outcomes of war. Tell me about, well, I'm, I'm thinking of the Western Front and World War I or even the Kokoda Trail, but let's talk about the, the great horror, the visceral horror of the Western Front with all that mud.
1: Something that I found when doing all my research was that the mud was there constantly, through the stories and in some cases the fear of the mud it was considered that death by mud was worse than death by bullet it was called um, a weird sucking mud that pulled you down to your doom the madness mud the murderous mud and it really seemed to characterize those particular battles
0: We know, of course, how shell holes became treacherous swamps and trenches would collapse on the men they were sheltering. Little wonder that they lived in dread of mud. I I understand that horses would get stuck and their rifles would clog.
1: Yes, and it also meant that sometimes if you needed help, medics couldn't get to you, that people would end up just trapped, unable to be helped, because the mud stopped stopped everything.
0: Now, the absolutely extraordinary story in your book concerns D-Day, World War Two, where soil was an all-important part of the battle planning. Explain why.
1: Well, D-Day was a very big operation that had a lot of planning and one of the reasons was that the Allies needed to be certain that, that they could actually land their vehicles and soldiers on the beaches. There had been an incident um, in Dieppe where although um, many trucks or tanks landed, most of them got stuck on the, on the sand and didn't make it. It ended up being quite a disastrous attack. So for D-Day, they needed to do it properly. They needed to truly understand where they were going to land and if they could successfully then move across to the continent. So there was lots of research. There was a photography competition where people would send in photos from their holidays and they used those to to analyse the northern French coast. There were covert soil sampling operations where they sent specialists in, in freezing water, New Year's Eve 1943, to swim over to the Normandy beaches and collect soil samples you know, having to duck down and hide as the German spotlight went over the beaches and then go back so these samples could be analysed. They had to create these geology maps to work out the safest points on the beaches to land um, and where the tanks might be able to track because on that particular patch of um, coastline, some areas were stable, had nice stable sand, some had quite treacherous peat and clay underneath that if – the tanks or other vehicles went on, they might sink and get stuck.
0: So soil science played an absolute fundamental role in in choosing the site. Of the four potentials, soil science was a major factor in the decision.
1: 100 per cent, absolutely.
0: <laughs> mm. This sort of analysis had been done before in war, though. Tell me about this extraordinary fellow uh, W.B.R. King.
1: Yes, I believe that he going into World War 1, William King was the only mm. military geo- geologist that the British army had. And he was initially a water supply officer, so one of his jobs was to help find groundwater and he help guide the placement of nearly 500 boreholes and in time he ended up working with another military geologist called Tannant Edgeworth David and they did things like created going maps which is to help decide where tanks could and couldn't traffic and um, David also guided tunneling companies really important work because by 1916 there were about 25,000 men actively tunneling
0: I had no idea it was so extensive at that time. Heavens above. So here he was compiling going maps that showed where tanks could travel across the landscape, where tunnels could be dug. And he has a, a, a role that goes into World War Two and, and D-Day.
1: Yes. Um, Bill King was one of the leading geologists that planned the research for the d-day attacks working out where they would soil sample and creating maps of the peninsula to work out also where they could construct temporary airfields because without temporary airfields the allies would have had to constantly fly back to england to refuel creating all sorts of logistical difficulties so having these um airfields was critically important
0: Your book is full of astonishment. Napoleon took soil scientists or (laughs) geologists to help understand um, what was going on in Egypt for his invasion in 1798.
1: Yes. Now, this is quite interesting. From what I read, he took them to understand the local resources, really wanted to understand, say, water and what other resources might be there. But he didn't use them in terms of a battle or tactical sense.
0: So, okay, let's let's think now about quicksand. Uh, The very term sends shivers through most of us. Many of us have had child nightmares uh, about quicksand. It's one of those most mysterious and terrifying concepts. It crops up, of course, in Sherlock Holmes, of loving memory. So talk to me about quicksand, please, Elisa Bryce. (laughs)
1: Quicksand, I think, is a fascinating topic, and I'm glad I pushed to have it included in the book. Quicksand is real, so your fears are grounded, for want of a better word. Thankfully, it's not that common, Um, and it happens because of the way sand sand and clay mix together. So you'll probably only find it in tidal areas, and from above, you can't necessarily see it. So it is treacherous in that respect. And what happens is salty water comes in from the side or from below, and it makes the soil particles sit together like a very fragile house of cards, just touching each other, and a little bit of just enough clay in there to keep the soil looking stable. But once you step on it, or something heavy goes on it, it displaces all the water, the object sinks, and the sand collapses around you, and that's why you get stuck.
0: Now, Now, you were fascinated with quicksand from your, um, well, favourite childhood movies.
1: (laughs) Yes, The Princess Bride would be my absolute favourite movie, where the princess buttercup disappears into the lightning sand in the fire swamp. Interestingly, that is dry quicksand, which doesn't actually exist in nature that we know of. It's only ever been created in a lab. So dry quicksand is, is something of fiction and films. And
0: yet we manage to fear it so deeply. <laughs> yes. Now, dry quicksand, does, therefore, is a notion, not a reality.
1: Yes, that's correct.
0: Leaping to the future, we were talking in our previous story about uh, going to Mars. If building is ever to be done on Mars, Alisa, you point out that the likely construction material will be drawing on a very, very long history here on Earth.
1: Yes, construction using local materials, which would likely be Martian soil, that red, rusty, dusty stuff, can be most likely turned into bricks or 3D printed.
0: Because we won't be able to afford to take those materials with us, will we?
1: No, not in the slightest. The numbers change, but it still costs thousands to send a lemon. So no, we're not taking concrete.
0: So historically and globally, Soil has often been the easiest and the most convenient thing to build
1: with. Mm. Yes. The original Great Wall of China was made from mud in the low patches.
0: One of the things you point out, Lisa, is that long before humans appeared on Earth and, you know, started building with soil, all sorts of creatures were doing it. I'm thinking of, uh, well, famously of termites. Yes,
1: termites are quite amazing with just you know some soil and their particular saliva mix, they can make you know, amazing structures meters high, strong enough that occasionally a car goes off the road and runs into one, and the termite mound survives, but the car doesn't.
0: How did you get into this? How did this happen for you?
1: Was it, was, it, was it
0: watching? Was it watching those <laughs> delightful childhood films? <laughs>
1: The career in soil science started because I did a degree in agriculture and quickly realized that soil science was fascinating and my favorite subject. The book came because almost all other books about soil are to do with agriculture, all the environment. And while they are incredibly important, soil has so much more to offer. And I wanted to write something that let people just sit back and enjoy this wonderful medium.
0: Elisa, I've enjoyed you very much. Thanks for coming on. Elisa Bryce, soil scientist extraordinaire. Her very readable book is Grounded. How soil shapes the games we play, the lives we make and the graves we lie in. It's from uh, Text Publishing.
1: You've been listening to an ABC podcast. You can discover more ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listener.